I'm just curious. This morning, I woke up and there was this text you sent me. Yeah. Um, it just says, I just woke up after a dream where I had already edited episode three and it was called Animals Are All Good Poopers. And you came up with that title and I edited it in 30 minutes. Then we drank margaritas. Good dream. That's all. Back to bed. Where are margaritas? Ah! Uh- <laughs> I'm glad that's the question that you have. I mean, it's on brand, baby. Because <laughs> it's the most important question. There are questions. Well, instead, we are drinking Moscow Mules. We are. We well, we were drinking wine. Yes, we I were. literally stopped we drinking wine, that bottle of wine about 25 seconds ago. Mm-hmm. And now I have a Moscow Mule. If you go to Instagram on this day, which is happens to be October 11th, you will probably see Tara with two drinks, double fist and. Well, yes, that's on my personal Instagram, which I'm sure you all follow because I'm a celeb. That's right, beach. <laughs> so we're here to do chapter four. Yes. Also, in case you weren't listening, this is the award-winning podcast. Basic sneaking. I was, was going to say some well-known podcast, and <laughs> I couldn't think of it, but yeah. Because we're the best. <laughs> Why? Oh, my God. My name is Adam. My name is Tara. And today we are reading chapter four. At, at Flourish and Blots. Did you already say that? I, feel I, like... I said chapter four. I didn't say the chapter oh, title. Oh, I wasn't paying um, attention. Yes. <laughs> We're off to a good start. Oh, and this is book two because, yes, season two. Season two, book two, Chamber of Secrets. Yes. What do you got to say about the last chapter? So in the last chapter, we went to the borough, which is one of the coolest places ever and also happens to be super magical and the home of many of our favorite characters. I need to award a winner and loser of the chapter. He's not in much of the chapter, but Vernon Dursley loses chapter three. <laughs> That's easy. He's in, yeah, he's in enough to lose the chapter, which yeah. is pretty much all he, he needs. Man. To, yeah. And much like the last episode, no one my wins? winner is oh. going to be... <laughs> I was like, no one wins this chapter? That's a theme this book. No winners, only losers. <laughs> don't come, don't at me, okay? I had a really good answer. Ruined. No, so much like last episode, I'm very unconventionally giving the win to three people. Ooh. I'm giving it to the twins and Ron. As much as I want to be like Mama Weasley, because she is badass ass, I love the initiative that these boys took to go and save Harry. And you know what? They made it there and back, and no one actually did see them, and no one died. And Fred and George are really good lock pickers, and Ron is a real good friend, and it's cute. Yeah. It was a great high point for him, I think. Very I love good. that chapter. Very good. Terry's breaking all the rules this, this season, so... It's a good thing I make the rules. That's right. But she makes them, and then she breaks them. Yes. That actually is cool, because it's kind of like, ooh... Now things aren't so, like, cut and dry. I wonder what, like, the other chapters have. Ooh. However, it is now my turn to read your summary about this. And, yeah, this is this is a long chapter. <laughs> I know, I just was like, we're just bare bones on this. I ain't got the energy. Yeah. I mean, this is still pretty long, but you can just tell, like, a lot had to be cut out because this chapter was, was pretty intense. So, here we go. Chapter 4, At Flourish and Blots. Harry's life is immediately better when he is not with the Dursleys. The Weasley family is nice to him, and Ginny clearly has a crush on Harry. The kids all get their Hogwarts letters, and for some reason, some guy named Gilderoy Lockhart wrote all of their textbooks. Honestly, it is kind of bullshit to expect students to purchase every book written by the same person all for one year of school. Hermione sends a letter to Ron because he hasn't heard from Harry, and they make plans to meet up in Diagon Alley. Hooray! The reunion is coming. Harry and Ron and the twins get to do actual child things like play outside and throw apples at each other, which is a child thing. That's me, Adam, not Tara talking. I don't know. AKA me judging Tara. What was your childhood like? Like, play outside and throw apples at each other and be kids. And honestly, Quidditch sounds even more interesting when it's played with apples instead of quaffles. There's awkward conversation about how the Weasleys have no money and Harry thinks about how he's actually a millionaire, but he doesn't talk about it. And they all get ready to go to Diagon Alley. 
They use flu powder, which Harry doesn't know how to use, and even though he makes it clear he's incredibly ignorant about using it, they still send him to Diagon Alley through the flu network all by himself, which obviously turns out just fine. After a leisurely trip into the flu network, Harry ends up in Nocturne Alley. He is in a shop with lots of dark and creepy things, so that's fun. He also sees Draco Malfoy and his father and hides from them while they do suspicious evil guy stuff and talk to the creepy guy working in the creepy shop where Harry is hiding. It's absolutely not suspicious at all and does not make Lucius Malfoy look like a bad guy in any way. Eventually, Harry leaves the shop after the Malfoys are done being jerks and is wandering the creepy alley when Hagrid finds him and takes him back to Diagon Alley. Luckily, they find some of the Weasley family along with Hermione rather quickly. Everyone was panicked because, again, they didn't seem to think it was necessary to accompany this child on a new experience of using flu powder, even though there were plenty of experienced people around to do just that before they left. Hermione fixes Harry's glasses because, well, she's Hermione. Harry and Arthur gossip about the Malfoy family, and they split up again until they meet up at the bookstore, Flourish and Blots. That's the chapter title. Oh, shit. She, she a detective. I was going to say a mystery person. She is a mystery person. <laughs> we don't know what she is. It turns out that the author of all the books that they have to buy for the school year is going to be at the bookstore. Gilderoy Lockhart has attracted a long line of middle-aged women to have him sign his books. And also they fawn over him because he's good looking. With air quotes. Me, not Tara. Good looking. Also, he is the new Defense Against the Arts professor at Hogwarts. Awesome. Gilderoy Lockhart takes advantage of Harry being in the shop and has a... F Whoa, that sounds like he, like, did something dirty to Harry. What does it say? Gilderoy Lockhart takes advantage of Harry. <laughs> Or, like, it's going to be a pain in the ass to edit the this, because this is... Okay. Gilderoy Lockhart takes advantage of Harry being in the shop and has a photographer from the Daily Prophet take a photo of them in hopes of being on the front page. Of course, Draco Malfoy witnesses that and harasses Harry for always being the center of attention. As always, Draco Malfoy is not very effective bully. Unfortunately, Lucius Malfoy is a much better bully than his son. He basically insults the Weasley family for associating with Hermione's family because they are muggles, and this causes Arthur to attack him with a knife. No, that was, again, just me. Before they can do any real damage to each other, Hagrid breaks it up. Tensions are high as the chapter ends, and the Weasleys and Harry prepare to go back to the burrow. Yay. Yay. It'll probably sound like I'm laughing through the whole thing. Because I'm drinking vodka right now after much of a bottle of wine. Because I wrote something really fucking funny. Yeah. Good job, Tara. You're funny now. Anyways, let's jump, <laughs> let's jump into this. That was very good. You really did, because there, this chapter... I it mean, was like you either got into everything or you just were like, this is what happened. Yeah basic outline yeah no i think you so, did a great job thanks. um i'm still concerned about your childhood and what it was like when all of your siblings threw apples at you the entire all time the same name. <laughs> all at the same time tara you're punished go to the apple room and everyone just threw apples at you constantly i don't know why i said that i don't know but i'm glad you did <laughs> when, when oh. i was like 12 I was with a neighbor's house with this other girl, and maybe, like, my mom will listen to this and be like, the truth at last. <laughs> <laughs> so we lived on the street. It was, like, 55 miles per hour. It was a township road, mm. and it was me and Mandy and my little sister, Tanya, who was, like, six or seven, and we're standing kind of close to the road, and we're, like, throwing rocks, just throwing them, and Mandy starts throwing them into the street. We're pretty sure she hit someone's car because someone like pulled into my mom's driveway. It was right next door. And um, they were like, this happened or whatever. And Mandy blamed it on my sister. And because I wanted to be cool and be Mandy's friend and not have her be like, oh, you should. My sister was like 
seven, maybe eight. Like, she was not able to... She wasn't doing it. Tanya and I were not throwing rocks into the street. But I was like, yeah, it was Tanya. (laughs) (laughs) For the record, my sister got me in plenty of trouble for being a bitch, but that was... Exhibit A! is a fucking bitch! <laughs> but also, like, my mom didn't believe it, and the person was like, well... And we're like, we weren't throwing rocks. Like, we also were just like, well, maybe Tanya wasn't paying attention because she's little, but, like, we got out of it, basically, is what it is. But I know that there was... We're like, well, maybe it was, it was probably Tanya because she doesn't know because she's a child. But really, we were just assholes. Oh my god. Okay, this also reminds me of a story about when my dad and my uncle Chris were young, where they were skipping rocks. I might get this wrong, because again, alcohol. But my buzzed brain is telling me that the way that the story goes is that they were skipping rocks, and my dad threw a rock at my uncle's head, and that's why my uncle is, like, deaf in one ear, maybe? I don't know. Something like that. You know what? Even if it didn't happen that way, your family probably wanted you to think it happened somewhere like that. That's what siblings do. Also, the Bowers family throwing rocks at one another is not something uncommon, so... Well, I'm saying... Okay, (laughs) so I did not grow up throwing apples. I don't know why I, like, worded it that way. Mostly I was like, oh, they're just doing kid things. Like throwing balls in the yard, but they can yes. only have Quidditch balls or apples. I think those are their only options. That's right. So and we're going to throw apples. because balls are for muggles. <laughs> Unless you're Albus Dumbledore. Anyways, moving on. So this chapter is delightful. I love how it starts off with Harry still experiencing the burrow. You still get yeah. some burrow stuff here. You get the mirror that talks to him. If my mirror talked to me like that, I would be like, fuck you. And I would break it. So, yeah, I'd be like, don't talk to me. But then you get seven years of bad luck. I already have 35 years of bad luck. (laughs) Remember when we ascended to that (laughs) higher plane? Well, we've done it again. (laughs) Yeah, like, also, it's a magic mirror. Can't you, like, enchant it to be like, hey, you want to fuck the bee? Oh, God, are you like, like, hey, don't forget to check for spinach in your teeth. Yeah. Like, be a helpful mirror. Yeah. I'm like, fuck in your shirt, Scruffy, as we call Zary. Harry's like, God damn it, my hair grows like this, okay. (laughs) Like what I need my mirror to tell me is don't forget your fucking phone or something. Oh my god, yes, I need my mirror to do that. That's what like You are not that useful mirror. No. You're just just bullying a twelve year old boy. He ain't gonna tuck in his shirt or comb his hair. That's what you're gonna get. The end. Yes. The fact that we get more of the burrow is really, really wonderful. I love here. that. I also like they give more background on some of the other Weasley boys. We've met Percy already, but we see a little bit more of him. We learn about Bill as well. And I think that Quidditch pet practice is very, very interesting. I love I it. I mean, I think of like when we were young and me and my brothers would play like T-ball in the backyard. T-ball! Yeah. And shit like that. Yeah, that moment when they are practicing and everything, I just really, really like it. It also gives a little bit more information about, like, what they're allowed to sort of do. They're allowed to practice flying brooms because they're already enchanted, similar to the flying car, but they can't go super high or else muggles will see them. This is where we get our book list of Gilderoy Lockhart's brilliance of alliteration he's like i'm so good with alliteration break with a banshee gadding with ghouls holidays with hags oh good job wow good job bitch you know how letters work right i am going to go on the record right now i hate gilderoy lockhart when i look at all of the different dark arts professors all things considered, like, okay, book four is a little bit tricky, etc. And we don't really see much of the Caros, so yeah, we know they're evil and stuff. Book five, yeah, we all hate that bitch. But I really do not like Gilderoy Lockhart. I think- Gilderoy Lockhart, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to get into discussing him more deeply once yeah. we actually spend time with him. I just thought of an interesting thought. Because I was about to talk about how prideful he is and what a representation of just like that peacocking thing that he does. Yes. And it made me think, there's seven books and seven Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers. What if they all represented the seven deadly sins? So go through that with me. Okay, so this is literally off the cuff. I didn't write any of this down. But obviously Gilderoy Lockhart is pride. Envy 
Oh, Buddy hands down. I think that's Snape. Ooh, okay. That's actually even better. That's what I think, anyway. Okay, I'm not even going to go into what I was going to say, because that's actually better. There's Lust, <laughs> which is difficult, but if I had to make a stretch, I would say that is Quirrell. Lust he's for power. A, his lust for power. Also, he's in a romantic relationship with Voldemort. Oh, yeah. He's super cute. Um, the Caros are Wrath. So we're missing greed, sloth, and gluttony, which would represent Barty Crouch Jr., Lupin, and Umbridge. I'm going to go with greed as Umbridge. Yeah, I think so, too. And I'm going to go with gluttony, which is maybe the furthest one for Barty Crouch. Because of the Polyjuice Potion? Yeah, I think that that's the hardest one, and I will, and only because we don't want to put Lupin in any of these. Yeah, I want to give him sloth because of his unwillingness to call out his friends. Yeah, as being bullies, perhaps in the past. But that's hard because, like, I th- I love where you're going with that, but like some of them are like yes, but then the rest of them I'm like yeah. Lupin is the hardest. Because Lupin is the hardest, but I think Barty Crouch Jr. is also hard. Because I, th- I, think I was going to say lust, he was Envy originally, because th- he's oh. portraying someone else, but Snape makes so much more sense. I think that Lust also makes sense with Umbridge, too, because she lusts for power. Yeah. I think, th- I think that they can represent the sins minus Lupin, but I don't think they're covering all of the sins. Yeah, unless the Caros are both. But I mean, oh, that's just off the cuff. I think that's an interesting discussion. Yeah, I like the whole seven deadly sins thing. One year in college, me and six other people were the seven deadly sins for Halloween. That's super um, fun, and it was such a fun idea. I was wrath. It was oh, very basic. <laughs> Actually, if I relate to one of them, is envy. I can be a jealous person. But I think they're really intriguing. Especially with Gilderoy Lockhart being such an arrogant fucking asshole. Like, he's definitely pride, no matter what. Oh, yeah. Do you remember your first thoughts when you met him in this book? Um, Did you think he was a fraud then? Probably not. I think at first, honestly, I probably, like, was just like those middle-aged ladies. And I was probably like, ooh, he cute. Right. That's well, my guess. For whatever reason, I have very distinct memories of reading this book for the first time. And I don't know if it's like where you like associate things. This book, I don't know why I have these like memories. I remember wanting him to be a fraud. Reading this mm. chapter and being like, this guy is full of shit. I'm going to be mad if he's not. Once you get to Hogwarts, you're like, this guy is full of he's shit. He's so greasy. But, but yeah. here, it lends itself open. He is still greasy, I think, in this chapter. I think it's a good word for him that mm. you just gave. I didn't want him to be good, which is a very weird feeling, but I remember feeling like, I don't want this guy to be good. At least, I think, after this book, there then becomes the trope of, okay, we've seen two Defense Against the Dark Arts professors be here for only one book and then you get Lupin and it's like oh we like this guy Mm -hmm. and then of course what happens with him and then you're like okay this is a pattern and you start to see that right it's funny I remember in high school there was a specific math teacher I think it was one of the algebra teachers all four years it was a different teacher and I was like oh my god it's the defense against the dark arts teacher well because you don't actually learn until the sixth book that it's a cursed physician yeah but after like the third year or the fourth year you're like well even in the fourth year barty crouch jr as moody says he's only agreed to do this for one year i'm not a huge fan of him i think there's something very used car salesman about him but before we actually meet him i just want to comment because i i'm trying to take note moments with percy weasley i really want to explore his character a little more he comes in in this breakfast scene, they're all reading their letters and Ginny is flushing because she's in love with Harry. And then Percy walks in. He's already dressed, his Hogwarts prefect badge pinned to his sweater vest. Morning all, said Percy briskly. Lovely day. I'm thinking about Percy because we know the turn he takes into this almost unrecognizable person. When Harry first learns about Percy basically fucking being the worst in the fifth book he's like confused he's like i stayed with percy we're friends in the first book percy's one that tells harry about snape wanting defense against the dark arts percy is harry's first older student to like look a up mentor, to yeah yeah percy has that like Commanding, responsibility yeah and yeah. he's i mean he's the prefect and i just find it fascinating because the whole percy's been locking himself in his room not spending time he's writing letters to his fucking girlfriend 
Percy has a girlfriend. That's what's out. Told I know. Everyone's shocked. So was I. Right. Told you the secret of book two, actually. Percy has a girlfriend. <laughs> and I really just want to say that I appreciate this moment because I think that it's actually very important mm-hmm. for her to give these characters that we've met a thing that you're like, oh, here's Percy coming in dressed and fresh and ready for the day. And they're all looking at him and being like, well, Percy just likes to show off because he's a prefect. Percy could at any minute go see his girlfriend when Percy's always just kind of presenting himself because he has that ambition or whatever. And I want to track all of his moments where he's not being an asshole. As I've mentioned, before i hate the term redemption i think that redemption can be a really sticky word and a really hard thing to define who gets to decide whether or not so and so is redeemed but percy's story arc is incredibly brilliant in the books we don't get it at all in the movies percy's interesting because he does have like that alternative storyline almost out of all the weasleys he has the most interesting storyline i mean speaking of pride I feel like he is somebody else, and you said ambition, which yeah. pride and ambition are also very Slytherin-y things. I think the hat probably thought about it yeah. a lot for and, Percy. Which is interesting, because, of course, Percy is a Gryffindor, and that other motherfucker is a Ravenclaw. That other motherfucker? Are you talking about his girlfriend? No, I'm talking about Gilderoy. Oh, that motherfucker. I, was I don't like, know who the girlfriend His girlfriend's is. also a Ravenclaw. Oh. Well... Yes, but yeah, Gilderoy Lockhart. The first two Defense Against the Dark Arts professors that Harry has are both Ravenclaws. Yeah. Wow. And everyone wants to shit on Slytherin. Right? Like, look at these fuckers. (laughs) This specific moment made me think two specific words, and that was crisp and gratitude. Well, gratitude first. I've talked about gratitude in the past. It's a meditation technique. It's a way to really go about your day in a very mindful way. Um, and being grateful for the things that you have. And the fact that he is getting up and he's like, it's a lovely day. Whether it's really is a beautiful day or it's a cloudy overcast day. I find myself in the morning being like, I am thankful because it's sunny outside and it's warm and the birds are singing. Or it's a little bit dreary and damp and it's cozy and, or whatever. Like the weather is a really great way for me to find gratitude. So when he said that, that's what it made me think of. On the flip side of that, I think crisp because he's a very neat person. I can just see him like getting ready and kind of like primping and pressing his clothes or like there's something a little bit out of the ordinary for Percy with the Weasleys because the whole house is a little bit scattered and disorderly in like a fun way. Yeah. But Percy combats that by his crispness. Those two words are something that I don't usually look at Percy with because he hasn't been my favorite character, but I'm glad that you're looking at it. I want to explore some of this more too. Similar to Dobby, I want to see things a little bit more from his perspective and maybe what Mm -hmm. is motivating Percy. But then eventually we have the flu powder moment. And I said this when we were watching the movies. I was trying to think of other alleys because there's, of course, Harry says diagonally, which is the little pun there. And there's nocturnally, which is where he Mm -hmm. ends up. And I was trying to think of other alleys, like comically is the one I thought of. Comic Alley. That's why I live, because I'm funny. (laughs) You wish, bitch. (laughs) Uh, You're right. I do, because I'm not. You you live it pathetically. (laughs) Get the fuck out. That literally just came out of your mouth. It was just meant to be, but you're not wrong. (laughs) Anyways. There are how many fuckers who know how to use flu powder in that room? Oh my god. Molly goes with Ginny. Fred and George go together. You can go in pairs. Just send Harry and Ron together. Now there you go. Or if you you want to be like, we need a chaperone, send him with Percy. Percy's a prefect. Send him with Arthur. Arthur's an adult. Also, aren't we using less flu powder if we're going in pairs? If Fred and George go together and Molly and Ginny go together and Harry and Ron go together. Molly even says something like, oh, we're going to need to pick up some more. Which made me think of like going to Costco or something. Oh, yeah, we're out of milk. Also, (laughs) I need to talk about this right now because I mentioned it when we were watching the movie and we're not in the movie part yet. But in the movie at the very least, I can't remember if this is in the book or not. Molly is like reading their list and she's like, well, there's only one place where we can get all of this. And I was like, Target! (laughs) Yeah. 
Because Target. But of course they meant diagonally, or diagonally as the case Diagonally. Of course, Harry ends up in Borgen and Burks, and we get this nice little scene. Where we get to have the Malfoys. Yeah. Lucius Malfoy is hiding all kinds of crazy shit. What the hell? Yeah. So there's some interesting things here. Again, I think there we get some of the wizard class system. The other thing, so... The very first episode of this podcast was called Vernon Needs to Go to Therapy. Here's where I'm almost like, okay, Draco also needs to go to therapy. I don't disagree. He has not seen Harry now for several months. One of the very first things, and it's ironic, of course, that Harry's there, and this is Harry's story, so of course it was written this way. He immediately is comparing He's himself to Harry. He's just bitching about Harry. Oh, well, I don't know what the point is for me to get a broom, because first years aren't allowed, but Harry's allowed, because... Like, Lucius must be like, kid, shut the fuck up about Harry Potter. I get it. Oh, he Holy is. Shit. Which is like, I don't like Lucius Malfoy, but I also love him. He's like, are you fucking kidding me? Can you shut up for five minutes? Yeah. About fucking Harry Potter. Yeah. It's great. The little moment there about the Hand of Glory. He's I like, love oh, it. I want the Hand of Glory. And then Borgen says something about, like, these and plunderers. And, like, I was almost like, wow, that was that was ballsy of you to accuse him of being. Right. Thing. And then Lucius does it. And I was like, oh, shit. There's a little moment where Draco might be approaching the Vanishing Cabinet. Which is a nice bit of foreshadowing, Ooh, if that's what it is. Huge bit of foreshadowing. I love that. And then the other big thing, or the talk of the raids, and we got a little bit of that in the last chapter with Arthur, but it's mentioned here again, and of course that's the whole reason of Lucius coming to Borgen and Burks. Mm-hmm. But then <laughs> what Borgen says afterwards, and it's like, honey... You are running an evil wizard shop in Nocturne Alley, <laughs> but you're still like talking shade about Malfoy Manor being a potential raid location. It's a little telling. Is this meant to show that Lucius is more evil than we even see on the page? You know what I mean? I think it is meant to show where Malfoy stands. From what we learn later, Morgan dealt with Voldemort. Yeah. Like he's dealt with some shit. So I don't think he's afraid of Lucius in like the way that Lucius wants him to be, but he'll definitely play like he is. It's an interesting piece of narrative to almost show how loyal he was to Voldemort. Yeah, it really is. It sets us up for later books and it really just kind of sets us up to understanding where the Malfoys sit in the world. Yeah. Well, thank God Harry gets the fuck out. He gets the fuck out. He runs to Hagrid, of course. Who's who being suspicious. He, ha- he was looking for that flesh-eating slug repellent. He, mm-hmm. Because it almost makes you think, okay, are we going to learn something more about Hagrid? Of course, we kind of already knew with the whole Morbid incident that he is always after these magical creatures and mm-hmm. will kind of like get them through whatever means are necessary. But it ends up being pretty innocuous. I'm more interested in the bitch that Harry runs into with a tray of fingernails. What were you going to do with those fingertails? And why were they on a tray? Were they like an hors d'oeuvre? Like, I want to know. No, I don't. Actually, I'm good. Were they just Lee press on nails? And she was like, I invented these. <laughs> and they are evil because they look like shit. Would you like to have some Lee press on nails? Do we know that they look like shit? I assume. I mean, if they're Lee press on nails, yeah. <laughs> or maybe she they're real fit human fingernails Ew. with like double-sided tape on the back. And she's trying to make some money off of it. And then I like how Harry flips the tray and she shrieks or something. Or at least this is what happens in my mind. She shrieks (laughs) and she's like, my fingernails! That whole exchange really pleases me. I was very intrigued with that side character that we didn't see too much about. But eventually Hagrid takes him back out. They reunite with Hermione and the Weasleys and everything. And they go to Borgen. And again, the Weasleys are like, we were so worried. Well, yeah, you could have prevented that. At this moment, Molly takes a brush out of her purse uh-huh. and brushes him off and I was like further evidence that Mary Poppins went to Hogwarts or is somehow related to the wizarding world because Molly Weasley got a Mary Poppins bag mm-hmm. that's right there's a couple other things that are really interesting here first of all we talked very early on when we first saw Gringotts but Hermione's parents are doing a currency exchange yeah. I want more information about that. Same. Because I'm curious. Because Harry's like, I have no money in the regular world. Like, just go to currency exchange, bitch. Yeah. 
Seriously. Maybe you can't go back? That would be stupid. Maybe. But, like, what are all those wizards doing with, like, how do they? How currency? do they go live in the muggle? Because I'm sure they have to do things in the muggle world in some cases. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know. Like, what if you want to go to, you know, a regular grocery store and buy non-magical food? What <laughs> if, like, your muggle spouse doesn't work, but they're the ones that, like, cook and stuff? They have to go to the regular grocery yeah. store. Yeah. Oh, th there you go. That's a really good You have to be able example. to train. Yeah. But I want to know more about that. And then they also see more shops. So there's another joke shop that they go to. Percy is caught reading a book. Speaking of Percy from earlier, mm -hmm. prefix you gained power. And I was like, okay, interesting. This is that's a sign. Some, that's some foreshadowing there. And then there's also a moment where they go into this. It's almost like a secondhand shop. It's like all this like shitty kind of like magic stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really, really interesting to me. It's bringing a little bit more of the realism into this. Something else that this made me think of, because it was almost like before they go and get their school supplies, they have some time to like hang out in Diagon Alley and go maybe shop with some of their allowance or spending money. Many times when we were younger, and I mean, man, the last time I was even here was a couple of years ago. My family would always go to Lakeside, Ohio. Have you ever been there? Mm -mm, I don't know what that is. It's this little community in the Chautauqua area or Cedar Point. If you're not familiar with Ohio, maybe you know Cedar Point. It's around there. It's up by Lake Erie. And it's this little community of cottages. You can rent a cottage for a week. When we would go there for a week, we would go and enjoy the lake. We'd play putt-putt. There were also all these little, like, quaint little shops. It was a little place where you could go to, like, buy dumb shit <laughs> like for some reason i remember this thing it was probably like 25 cents but it was like this latex that came with this fucking dumb little straw and you'd blow balloons out of the latex oh it yeah probably was harmful i'm sure it was yeah. but i remember that yeah and like you would buy that i remember you buy that it and it was clearly. like in a tube and in the like straw you had pulled it yeah. and it was expanded and they had all these things like the uh keychains and little license plates and stuff with your name on them it's all like kitschy like yeah like souvenir-y stuff yeah. there's this big auditorium called hoover auditorium and they would have like elvis impersonators or beatles impersonators or sometimes they would have actual like famous people my dad recently he went up to see like three dog night and other bands they have a few restaurants but also if you're up in the area then you can go you know on lake erie or to kelly's island or putin bay or cedar point for some reason this made me think of that <laughs> because that's fair they're going from shop to shop and they're like oh we can use our spending money for some of this these things i don't know that's a weird departure and then of course after all of that we go to borgen and burke i want your thoughts on this yes so they do the gringotts Thing. Mm -hmm. And Harry has that moment where he feels like shit because the Weasleys literally just emptied their vault to pay for everything and they go to his vault and there's all this fucking money and he's like, I gotta get, put money in my pocket and get the fuck out of here. So no one sees. What do you think 12 year old Adam would have done in this situation? Do you think he would have been exactly like that? I think I would be pretty similar. At that age, now if I were older, I feel like I'm a little bit more generous as an adult. I don't think I would be quite as ashamed either, but if I'm 12 year old Harry, I think I would be a little bit more self-conscious and I wouldn't want to offend them or anything. Yeah, if I were even a couple years older, like if I were year five instead of year two, mm -hmm. I'd be more likely to be like, let's go to Florian Fortescue's and I'll buy everybody ice cream. I think there are several moments where they talk about the fucker's books being so expensive. Yolo mm -hmm. Lockhart, his books are so expensive. So, oh, we'll have to do secondhand things for Ginny. Yeah. And I feel like maybe at that moment I'd be like, let me give you some money. Like, you've been so hospitable to me. I think at, at age 12, this is pretty authentic. I asked you because, like, I'm every time we get to, like, the conversation of money and Harry and the Weasleys. A lot of people want to be like, Harry should just give them money. They give him so much. And like the fourth book, they give him a ticket to the Quidditch World Cup. I think about what this situation must be like for a child yeah. who is actually more mature than more, most photos. I feel like it's just not his place. 
not this book, but I think it's another book where he was like, Harry would have given all of his money in his vault to the Weasleys, but he knew they wouldn't accept it or something like that. Obviously, like the Weasleys are a pureblood family. They're one of the few purebloods left. They have a lot of purebred bride in a non-toxic way. It comes from this place where they've built themselves from wherever they've been. And Arthur Weasley is not about to accept money from a teenager. It's canon in my head that Harry probably pays for he and Ginny's wedding. I think that once he and Ginny are officially a thing, a lot of things are different financially for that family. Not because Harry's like, here, take all my money. If a 12 year old listening to this would like to disagree with me, <laughs> I will accept you disagreeing Then with you me. can send money to our P.O. box, also- which is, we'll let you know when we have a P.O. <laughs> but really though, like I cannot ever think of like a teenager being like, I have all this money and these people don't. And knowing how to approach that gracefully in a way that's not like, hey, would you like some money without people feeling like shit about it? I agree. Like, Harry will support the Weezies a lot more in the future. It's weird when you're a 12-year-old to do that. We talked a few episodes ago about, like, you had a Molly Weasley in your life. One of your friend's mom. Yeah. Um, in the past. And from my point of view... I think of like friends that I went to sleep over frequently and yes, while they did a lot for us and you know, you go to these sleepovers and they're looking after you and there's dinner and there's breakfast, etc. Then my parents would do stuff for that friend as well. This is one sided. The Weezies are doing everything, you know, but I don't think there's ever that expectation. And when you're like that young, to be fair, even like these friends that I'm thinking of, I was even a little bit older. It's nothing that ever crosses your mind. Like you said, Harry is thinking about this a little bit more. And it's just awkward. If you're an adult, getting money from one of your children's friends is just strange. So when you really think about it, it just makes no sense. So we meet Gilderoy Lockhart in person. He's obsessed with fame. He sees Harry Potter and wants to get a picture with him for the front page of the Daily Prophet. He gives Harry all of his books for free. For free. He says, when young Harry stepped into Flourish and Blots today, he only wanted to buy my autobiography, which I shall be happy to present to him now free of charge. He had no idea that he would shortly be getting much, much more than my book, Magical Me. He and his schoolmates will, in fact, be getting the real Magical Me. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. So yeah, it doesn't actually say that he gives him all of his books, but then later it's, it says, Harry says, Jamali, you can have these. I'll buy my own. Tipping the books into Ginny's cauldron. So I'm assuming that he does give Harry the whole thing, which he does in the movie. Yeah. But it does say books here. And I can hear Kenneth Branagh saying, like, free of charge. Oh my god, you know? right? And then that's when our favorite bully who can't bully is like, I bet you love being in the center of attention. Ooh, that hurts. Draco. Yes, I do. Thank you, you little Ouch. You said a thing that doesn't actually hurt anyone. And then little Jenny is like, leave him alone. He's like, oh, you've got a girlfriend? Uh, yeah. Yes. And um, flash forward four books because she could kick your ass, bitch. Yeah. This is important to bring up because I think Ginny is well known as a little firecracker. And we forget and, about little awkward Ginny. Yeah. I love her. This is the one of the first times. I even think like in, in this book, we see her as being like the damsel in distress. Ginny can handle herself. Okay. I even just think of Ginny and like Curse of Child in some of the moments. Oh my God. Ginny like, is Ginny so fucking badass. Ginny takes after her mother. They are HBICs. Hell fucking yes. And this is one of those moments. So. Dream um, roll. So that's. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my God. Who would I want to play? We've had we had this discussion in New right. York, I'm sure. Can't remember. I just want to be Ginny Weasley opposite James Snyder yeah. as Harry Potter. We do just, I want to play Ron? Ron is great. Or do I want to play Drake? I don't feel like I'm Harry. Oh my God, Draco's great in the show. I'm Ron or Draco. Anyways, Seeker's Child. <laughs> Please <laughs> give us a sponsorship, Broadway. That's right. That's right. Microsoft, Broadway. Child. While Harry would not give money to the Weasleys, we will accept your money. So <laughs> make it rain on us. Or, as the case may be, make it hail on us because it sounds like galleons and sickles and canuts. They're all coins. Yeah, that's fine. You can hail on us. That's fine. Yeah. Anyways. 
So yeah, so Malfoy's a shitty bully again. Yeah. And then there's this confrontation with parents too. I mean, it's things that we've all seen before. The whole wizard class thing kind of culminates to this moment. It really is so heavy handed. Yeah, and I, at the same time, like, the Grangers are kind of in the background here, too. I had been thinking about, like, the derogatory kind of racist term that I'm not going to obviously say. Because that's rude. Um, because it's rude. I almost wondered, like, why it wasn't said here, but I think this is kind of, like, building up to that moment. I mean, we have talked a lot about the wizard class system already, so obviously you know that it's coming, and the inclusion of the Grangers here I think is important. But the fact that they are still here supporting Hermione, I think, is also something that we need to bring up. But it's also just interesting, like, to hear two colleagues, like, both the Lucius and Arthur work for the Ministry. And their whole interaction here is weird. It feels very out of character for Arthur to react that way. And it also feels overly gross from Lucius. Like, these are the things he says. I thought you and your family could sink no lower. The company you keep. Here, girl, take your book. It's the best your father can give you. It's even more disgusting in the movie, I think. We'll get there when we talk about the movie in a few minutes. Like, for you to say this to a child? Like, a your, first-year child. your father can't do any better. Like, it's just really poor taste. It's really gross. Yeah. So, yeah, Lucius Malfoy is a piece of shit. Yeah. This is crazy. We talked about, like, the peak of the Dursleys being bad is in this book. Mm-hmm. This is, like, ground level for Lucius, I feel like. He is so much worse in the future. I mean, he's just disgusting. I think the only thing that's worth mentioning, because this will come up in future episodes, but of course we know that this is where Lucius Malfoy plants the diary. It is. Dun, dun, dun. Not the diary where she's writing all these fantasies and fan fiction she's having about Harry Potter in. I mean, maybe... She changed his diaries. This is now the diary that's she right. writes them in. There are some jokes that will be said in the future about that, but we'll get there. <laughs> Movie! Woo, movie! The biggest two things for me, because I think this chapter as a whole does a really good job. It really does. I think this chapter is very well done in the movie. Of course, the whole Borgans and Burks thing, which isn't needed. It's nice in the book and it adds some nice flavor. Oh, the Malfoy thing? How many times am I going to say, you know, wizard class system in this book? But it adds a little bit of context to that. And then there's also some of the additional stuff that we see at the Weasley house. The Quidditch practice. It's great in the book. Listen, in the movie, we don't get more of the burrow, which we could use. Yeah. And also Percy is not fucking put together in the movie. He's like, my hair is all over the place. I'm in my PJs. Which, like you said, we don't get as much of his storyline throughout yeah, the like Yeah, like his big storyline is cut from the movies yeah. entirely. So, so we kind of don't give a much. shit. That's okay, because he looks adorable. Love yeah. you, Chris Rankin. Yeah. Listen to our podcast. I think the only other thing that I was going to say is that that witch in Nocturnale is not carrying a tray of fingernails, and I'm really mad He's about it. He's very upset about it. I'm very upset. I want to see more of Fingernail Bitch. Um, Can we talk about one? In the first movie, they're not wearing Navy school robes. Robes are definitely wearing navy school robes in this scene. Oh my god, you're always so much more detail oriented. I'm so thrown off by it. I'm like, oh, they're all wearing. I was noticing that Ginny had this cute little purple robe because she doesn't have school robes yet. I'm like, look at little Ginny, she's so cute. I'm like, all of those boys, and Percy's got some prefect business going on, whatever. But all those boys are wearing these navy school robes. And I was like, when do they wear navy in the movies? Yeah. I thought that was really weird. Morgan and Burks looks really cool. Okay, so when we were watching the movie, I was like, this is what I want my house to look like on Halloween. It was great. But I also want kids to be like terrified of my house. And then the ones who come up and are brave realize they get the best candy. Exactly. It's that's I that's think that's perfect. brilliant. That's what I want. Love the moment where Harry and Hagrid see each other. He's like, what are you doing that down there or whatever? And the suspicious look Harry gives Hackard is just, <laughs> yes. is real good. It's a real good one. That is great. They see Hermione. Hermione got bangs. And what what kind of fucking crisis you've gone through, 12-year-old, that you needed to get bangs? That's right. But also, this was like She wishes she had a peaceful life. <laughs> she wishes she had a peaceful life, like Ron Weasley. Actually, what was this, 1992 for them? Bangs were actually not a crisis thing. That was just people doing Yeah, them. trying to look cute. 
The only other thing I think I have to say, and we talked about this as well when we were watching the movie, was Kenneth Branagh as Gilderoy Lockhart. Fucking perfect. He's perfect. As Gilderoy Lockhart. Y'all know I like Agatha Christie. I have to say the same thing that I said to Tara. Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot is garbage! But I do like him as Gilderoy Lockhart. And now they're coming out with Death on the Nile. And I'm really excited for that because I love Death on the Nile. There's a character named Miss Bowers who was played by Maggie Smith in the original movie, which is important because, well, you all know. And Jennifer Saunders and Don French are in this new movie. And Don French played the fat lady in the third movie. And if they're not Mrs. Van Schuler and Mrs. Bowers, I... I'm firing the casting director of this movie. But that's all I have to say about that. That is all that. Okay, but I also have all the questions. One, why does Bonnie Wright have black streak in her hair? Watch the movie again. Whoa. Um, yeah. I have no idea. Um, Speaking of perfect, Jason Isaacs is the most perfect Lucius Malfoy. Mm-hmm. The end. I know that J.K. Rowling like wanted him, so yeah. perfect. He real fancy. And he and Harry have like a showdown over like you must feel very brave saying the name and Harry's like yeah Voldemort killed my parents it's this really dramatic thing and he's extra assholey like he says something to Arthur about what's the good of disgracing the name wizard if they're not even paying you well for it that's too far they don't actually have a brawl in the movie which well no but let me say like the tension Arthur Weasley's, like, reactions, he, like, comes at Lucius and is, I think, unwaverable. Like, he's so brave for doing that. Oh, yeah. The look on his face. There's one moment at the end where he kind of, like, looks away, but then he's like, okay, come on, children. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, I'm okay without the brawl. I actually me really too. enjoy it Because they had the showdown between Harry and Lucius. Yeah. Which isn't in the book. The actors do it well oh, enough without so a good. brawl. I just also think, like, your parents died. You knew Lily and James Potter. Clearly, Lucius. Right. He's a disgusting human. You asked this question. Why is everyone so dirty? Oh, yeah. Because we were talking about, oh, maybe the children were dirty because they don't know how to use the flu network as well because Molly is not dirty. Molly was probably primping herself up for Gilderoy Lockhart, one. Fair. Two, because also Arthur is also dirty. So everyone is dirty That's fair, except for Because her. of the flu network. Flu. When we were watching the movie, I said something to her and I was like, Jimmy, you don't know how to use soap, but yeah. And then the only other thing I was going to say, there's a look on Tom Felton's face when Hermione does the fear of a name only increases, whatever, whatever her line is that was totally Dumbledore's in the first movie. He has this look on his face where he's like, I can't be impressed. It's beautiful and subtle. And also I heard a rumor that they were maybe kind of dating now, Emma Watson and Tom Felton. Right now? Like, yeah, right now. I don't know. I don't really pay much attention to that. I have no idea. But I would ship that that real hard. I love them both. And so would a very Harry Potter musical with Draco Malfoy. Yes. Exactly. Interesting. But Tom Felton is legit. Art imitates life. And then also, Harry totally sees the diary slip there. Like, it shows in the movie him noticing it. And you're just like, no one notices that till the end because you don't get it. You know? One other thing that I want to say before we, we wrap things up. You mentioned a lot about facial expressions, and mm-hmm. that whole scene is so important for facial expressions. Lucius Malfoy says something like, vacant expressions, hand me down robes, something like that. And you look at Ron, and He's, Ron's expression is not vacant. Ron is, is like, shady. shady. Ron is like, fuck you. Fuck yes, Ron. Why is Daniel Radcliffe's hair so long in those scenes? His hair is not that long the rest of the movie. Oh my god. But because they went on set three months after. They're like, oh shit, we gotta do the scene where everyone's dirty. Daniel, oh, we don't have time to cut your hair. Just get out there. Yep. You a mess. I mentioned keeping up appearances a lot with the Dursleys, but there's the moment where the Malfoys leave and Lucius is like, see the work. And he just leaves. And it's like, wow, awkward. And then Draco does the same thing. He's like, see you at school. And he has his little eyebrow raise. Oh, the eyebrow raise is like, fucking wow, great, you're though. not intimidating, you no. fucking little shit. So yeah, that's really all I had. But but yeah, a lot of things happened in this episode. So are you ready to hear my points? I can't wait. Well, buckle in, because there's a lot. Okay. Oh, shit. Plus 10 for Ron for being shady at the end. Yes. I really enjoy I, that. I support this. Ron is 
gaining a lead here over book one. Plus 10 for Arthur Weasley because there's so many moments. I mean, he is supportive. He has that dad vibe with loving his job and the whole car thing from the last episode. Really being passionate about the muggle world and standing up to Lucius. And mm -hmm. I, I love all of that. Speaking <clears throat> of standing up, plus five to Ginny for sticking up for Harry to Lucius. Ginny is a bad bitch that we often lose sight of, I think. Hell yeah, Ginny, especially in this book. Plus to Hagrid for saving Harry and breaking up the fight um, at the end, too, which yeah. he does do. Also, plus five together. This is not a separate thing, but plus five to Mr. and Mrs. Granger. Because they came out to Diagon Alley for their muggle daughter. Right? And they look real muggly in the movie, too. I, like, I love it. It's great. So, yeah, hell yeah to the Grangers. Plus five to them. And then plus five to Fingernail Witch, because I'm interested in you. Call me. What, what's up? Witch, well. What's up with your fingernails on a tray? I want to know. Negative five to Lucius Malfoy. He is diabolical. Mm. But only negative five, because I know there will be more. Like, this is baseline for him. So only negative five. Negative ten to Draco, though for needing therapy, for comparing himself to others. Speaking of comparing, comparing himself to his dad at the end, the right. whole, see you at work, see you at school, like, you suck. And negative 10 to Gilderoy Lockhart for being a creep. So, that's a lot. Plus 10 Ron, plus 10 Arthur, plus 10 Hagrid, plus 5 Ginny, plus 5 The Grangers, plus 5 Fingernail Witch, negative 5 Lucius, negative 10 Draco, negative 10 Gilderoy, and that is the end of chapter 4! Yay! Yay! We made it. That was a lot. This is another long episode. So next time we will be reading chapter five called... Uh, I don't know what it's called, Terry. Come to my book. <laughs> <laughs> the Whomping Willow. The Whomping... Wow. We are... We're going to be back at Hogwarts in the next chapter. We're going back to Hogwarts. Yay. So yes, we are done with this episode. I don't know where I was going with that. And uh, we're sorry because we're a lot, but you love us anyway. We're sorry and you're welcome. <laughs> Good night. Good night, children. Sleep tight. Goodbye. I'm trying to get my mouse to work. There we go. Bye. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch, Catch you later, later, snitches! snitches.